Good evening, my friends, my saints, my friends. God bless you. Welcome to Bible Study Live. And uh, it's always a good uh, time to come before you and to share and to expound on what we dealt with on Sunday. So we will take some time to bow our heads and we're going to pray. And then we will move right into our lesson for today. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, we praise you, we magnify you. God, we uh, just appreciate you for all that you are and all that you mean. God, we thank you for your greatness, your mercy, and your kindness towards us. God, we ask that you would just strengthen us in everything and bless us. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we had an interesting topic, topic on last Sunday, and uh, it had a, a lot of layers to it. And so we'll bring it up. And we were talking about judgmental Christians, judgmental Christians, and coming from a uh, a different angle than normally when we look at that. So well, the first thing that we'll, we will discuss is the idea that one of the worst things to run into is a judgmental Christian, the type of Christian who thinks because God has rescued them, they are somehow above everybody else and they look down on everybody else. And so that's been, that's been a, a troublesome thing in churches down throughout the years, even when you go back in time to some of the, the writings of Paul, especially uh, going to Jesus. Now, when Jesus was around, they weren't Christians uh, yet because he had not died, but he really was hardest on the religious crowd. So it's there's no part of us that wants to uh, interact with judgmental Christians or be judgmental Christians. Now, for Deliverance Temple, since we're uh, supposedly a church of love, which I believe we are, but that's like our focus, being judgmental should not even be an option for us. But we're human, and it could still happen. So the question is not so much uh, do we want to be judgmental Christians, because that the answer to that should be no. The question is deeper. Is there ever a time to judge? Does the scripture mention it at all? Does the scripture point toward any type of judgment? So is there allowed to be righteous judgment or not? So in order to, to not be a judgmental Christian, do you never have an opinion? Do you never have a standard? Do you never have a stance? Do you get painted in a box? And the point that I was making on Sunday is that the idea of the judgmental Christian, which is horrible and something that we don't want, we don't want to be, and we don't want to uh, develop those type of Christians. The problem is that when many people choose not to come to church, that is their number one thing is too many judgy people. And so that can that's that's probably true in some cases. But the question is, is it true in all cases? Is it possible that people are misinterpreting things and casting it off as judgment? Is it possible that people are receiving what we call conviction and then turning it into judgment? So the question is, well, how how do we handle that? How do we move forward? How do we not fall into being people who look down on others? But how do we not paint ourselves in a box where we can never say anything? We can never have an opinion, a stance, a standard. So the question is, how do we handle that? And so we went to the scripture to kind of flesh it out and to understand it. I'll give, a, uh, I'll give an example. When, um, when the summertime rolls around, a lot of times there's a lot more death as it relates to gun violence, usually historically through the type of church that I pastor in the area that I'm in. And so I've had to do a lot of funerals for people dead too soon for gun violence, anger, things getting out of hand. And so the question I always ask myself is that there's a family grieving. And so my job is to help the family that's grieving. But would it be right for me to ignore the fact that these young people need to stop 
with the guns, that they need to put the guns down, that they need to choose another way. So there's a balancing act as I begin to minister and eulogize those type of funerals because you never want to look down on the one who's dead and gone and make the family feel bad. But also, you've got to speak the truth as well. And so the scripture tells us that we've got to speak the truth in love. And the problem is that sometimes when we speak the truth and we speak it in love, it's automatically cast as, well, you're judging me. Well, you've got to know a person's heart. Well, am I really judging you or am I just telling the truth? The only person who can really know that for sure is me, is the one who's handing it out. So as Christians, we've got to make sure that we're not looking down on people. We're not judging books by their cover. We're not uh, making people feel uncomfortable. We're not uh, holding back the love of Christ. But we also are not supposed to be punks. We're not supposed to be people who can never have a, uh, a conversation, a tough conversation, a hard conversation to the people in our life. So we, we got to kind of work through that and see where we land on that. And so that's what we did moving forward. So the first thing we did is to come up with where do we get the idea that people cannot judge? Where do we get that? And the idea comes actually from Scripture. So let's, uh, let's look at that. So it says, judge not. So when you hear the phrase, you should not judge, that is a scriptural phrase the only problem is it doesn't have the full scripture. So let's actually go there and see what it says. So we're going to figure out the, the passage. The passage is in Matthew 7. It's in verses 1 through 5. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Then it says this. It says, judge not. Now, that's normally where people stop. Judge not. Only problem is there's a comma there, which means there's more to the statement. So it says, judge not, but then it says, that you be not judged. So it's not saying that you can't judge, but what it is saying is you have to be careful when you judge because once you judge, judgment is already coming back to you. In other words, it's a reciprocal thing. It's like uh, the waves of the ocean. They're going to go out but they're going to come back. Very basic thing that we've all also learned all throughout Scripture, there's what they call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. You reap what you sow. So it's not that you can't judge, but the question is, if you do, you have to be understanding that it's going to come back in your direction. And for us as Christians, the issue that we have is that God is our judge. So how we handle others is how God handles us. There's a, there's a story that Jesus tells when he was uh, uh, doing parables. He talks about a man who uh, had a huge debt, and he comes before the king, and the king was basically saying, we're going to have to lock you up because you won't pay the debt. And then he begs, he pleads, he cries. The king says, okay, I'm going to give you another chance to get your debt paid. He leaves there, runs into a guy who owes him money as well. And the guy says, hey, I just need a little time. And what he did, he said, no, cast him into prison, throw him uh, out, lock him up. Of course, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I'm doing this off the top of my head. And then the the point that Jesus was making, he's like, how could this guy who's been forgiven a lot from the king turn around and not be able to forgive the next guy? So as Christians, when we look at God's love for us, God's compassion, his mercy toward us, and the way he judges us, he normally judges us with many, uh, many chances. He judges us with compassion and mercy. So when we judge, if we don't judge in that same manner, then what we're saying to God is, hey, I want you to be tough on me. If we're tough on everybody, we're saying, God, I want you to be tough on me. However, it doesn't mean we can't judge. It just means we have to be careful how we do it. So the scripture says that what we should do, we should do it considering ourselves. So 
The question is, is, is if you have to have a tough conversation with someone, the first thing you should ask yourself is, how would I like to hear it if it was me? If the shoe was on the other foot, how would I like to hear it? And so you approach people in the same way you would want to be approached. You don't come yelling at people. Hey, you're going to hell. Is that how you want to be talked to? Or do you, do you want someone to maybe point out your error, show you, like uh, I brought up on Sunday, iron sharpens iron. So the, the point is, it's not that you can't judge or never make a judgment or never make a righteous judgment. It's just you have to be very careful how you do it. And the best way to do it is to do it as if there was a mirror, as if whatever you're giving out is coming right back at you. And that right there, that understanding right there would fix judgmental Christians because they would never look down on someone if they don't want someone looking down on them. So, uh, so that really answers the question, but let's, let's go deeper and see how, uh, it's all spoken in the scripture. So let's, uh, take it to the next verse. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So there's this warning that it's almost like a measuring cup. If you measure it with a thimble, that's how it's going to come back to you. If you measure with a barrel, that's how it's going to come back to you. If I had done wrong and I need to be corrected. Would I want someone to dump on me with a barrel? Or would I want them to just give me a drop to get me to open my eyes? Well, honestly, if I already feel guilty about what I did, I'd rather someone just give me a drop to get me in the right direction. I wouldn't want someone just dumping on me every time they see me. Man, you know you shouldn't have done that. Like, look, you take a, a, a husband or a wife who committed adultery and because they committed adultery they their marriage ended up in divorce and every time somebody seen them man you sure let go a good woman that was dumb that was stupid well that person i want to hear that all the time yeah they made a mistake yes they should be corrected but how do we move forward well if you want someone to always hold things over your head well that's what you should do to others when you hold things over other others head then you're saying god should allow people to do that to you so we have to be careful because whatever measure we use, that's the measure that's coming back to us. Now, the scripture talks about those of us who are going to be leaders and masters. It's even worse. The scripture says we receive the greater condemnation. In other words, it's not just the measure we give out. It comes back even harder. So as a pastor, as a leader, I have to be very careful how I correct the membership. Because if I'm hard on them, it's going to come back hard on me and harder because I'm a leader. And the problem I have is sometimes the worst judgment comes from the pulpit. The harshest, meanest critics are the leaders. It shouldn't be that way. The leaders should be the most caring, loving, because we know God is looking at us. And so it's about how we handle things, but never let someone put you in a corner and make you think, well, I can't say anything because I, I'm a Christian. Well, I see someone who's going through the parking lot and they're, they're robbing everybody's car and they rob for my car, but man, I don't want to say anything because I want to be a good Christian. No, that doesn't make sense. You should do what is right because it's right. You should raise your voice when your voice needs to be raised. It's just you handle it a certain way. All right, so let's, let's go on further. Verse three, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye. Now, remember, this is Jesus, and Jesus was always hardest with the religious people. And what he was saying to them is, you guys always go hard after the people who have the smallest issues, and you got big junk in your life. You got big junk in your trunk, and you jump on people for the smallest issues. And so the way things were in those days, all the Jewish laws that they had, they, they, I always get this number wrong, but I think it's right. There was up to 613 Jewish laws. Uh, when, when we start early on, it was just the Ten Commandments, but then it grew. There was a lot of man-made laws added in, and they were down to the smallest, tiniest thing. And if you didn't do things right, 
the the leaders would jump on you. They would they would get on you. And in many cases, some of the laws were you were supposed to be put to death. You were supposed to be stoned, killed. And so they were being hard on the smallest things. And Jesus was saying, but you've got all this stuff going on in you. You got logs in your eyes and you're dealing with someone about the speck of sawdust in theirs. And we have we cannot be that way. We cannot be the type of person that we're trying to hide the stuff in our life. And so because we're trying to hide it, what we do is we cast out on everybody else. We pick on everybody else so nobody sees that we have issues. In Deliverance Temple, this is what way we do it. We just say, hey, we all got issues. And so since we all got issues, we're all going to work together to grow together. We're not going to point fingers at one person because, as the old saying says, when you point one finger out, there's three fingers being pointed back at you. So you look at yourself. Now, here's the, the major point comes in the next verse. Let's look at the next verse. It says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Fifth verse, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here's the major point that is being made. You cannot be a hypocrite. God never wants to raise up or grow hypocrites. He never wants hypocrisy. So if you know you have a lot of issues and you have to help other people overcome their issues, then you don't point at them and act like you've never been there. And while you may not have been where they are at currently, you sometimes be transparent and show them, hey, I may not have done what you've done, but I've done this. So my preaching is very transparent because I don't want to be a hypocritical pastor. I don't want to act like I never get tempted. I want to act like I never fall. So when I'm trying to get you guys to grow through your temptation and grow through your challenges and your falls, I can't be a hypocrite. I've got to say, hey, I've got stuff in my eye or I previously had stuff in my eye. I'm going to help you get stuff out of your eye but I'm not going to act like I've never been there. So a lot of Christians, what they do is when they're on the path of growing, they act like they got it all together and they look at the next person and then they'd be like, well, Hey, if you just do what I did, maybe, maybe you'll, you'll come along. They don't tell the truth. Hey, you know what? There's days I still struggle. And so I try to be very transparent. I've even had people tell me, well, as a pastor, you should stop saying that. You should stop because it makes you look weak, but it doesn't make me look weak. It shows people that there is a growth process, that we all are humans and we all started a place and we're going to a place and the place is on an incline. And the problem is sometimes we'll, we'll go up and we slide back. That's what backsliding is about. So I can't be a hypocrite and act like I've never backslid. I rededicated my life at the age of 19. I'm 46 now. So what that means is the majority of my mess ups happened while I was a Christian. I did some stuff young, but I was young. You know, the majority of my major mistakes happened while I was a Christian. So I can't get up and preach and act like, man, the moment God saved me, I've never done nothing wrong. I've gone all the way with God, 110%. Well, that would be a lie. It would be a lie for me. Now, maybe some other uh, pastor is like that, and they've been perfect ever since they got saved. And my, uh, my, I guess my suggestion to you is leave my church and go join their church. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, you're with the wrong person because I haven't been perfect. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And so I'm honest about that. But that doesn't mean I can't challenge you to grow because I'm honest so that I can help you to grow. All God is saying is don't be a hypocrite. And so then when we look at the verse side by side, it says you hypocrite first Take the plank out of your own eye. And then it says, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So God still wants you to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He doesn't want you to leave them because what the Bible also says, if the blind lead the blind, we'll all be into the ditch. So if I got a big log in my eye, it's blinded me. First thing first is work on me. But if you got a speck in your eye, it may not be totally blinding you, but if we leave it alone over time, it's going to blind you as well. So God doesn't want me to leave you blind. He wants me to help you. But at first, he wants me to look at me, work on me first. And if I've got any success, pass that on to the next person and help them.
The problem is some people don't want you to say anything about their spec. They want you to leave them alone. But a good leader will never not tell you that the bridge is out. Hey, don't go down that road because the bridge is out. You could fall into a ditch. Well, how do you know? Because I've been there. I went down that road. I messed up. I lost my car. And now I'm walking back to tell you, don't go down that road. Well, forget you. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going down that road. Well, well, it's my job to try to tell you, hey, the bridge is out. If I walk by you and just be like, well, hey, to each his own, I'm not a good leader. And so if you want a leader who will never challenge you, also, you're in the wrong church. You probably should find another pastor. I'm going to be honest, but I'm also going to be challenging because that's what causes us to grow. So to, to see that, let's, let's go even further. Let's look at Revelations. Revelations 2, 18 through 21. Now we're looking at uh, Jesus' words through John. It shows how Jesus handles critiquing things. So Revelation 2, 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, God, so these are Jesus' words, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Uh, to give us a little background, when John was exiled on the island of Patmos, he wrote what we call uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He was on that island. He began to see visions. And the first thing he did, saw in the visions was a revelation of Jesus, crucified, resurrected Jesus, not in earthly form, but in heavenly form. So he didn't look like the Jesus that John knew as a disciple. He was different. That's why he had eyes like flames of fire. So John is describing him in many, many ways. And so in that first chapter, he, he interacts with Jesus just the way he looks. And by the time you get to chapter three, Jesus is actually talking with John and he's talking about seven real churches, church families that were in the land that John knew. And, and John was supposed to give this message actually to them. And after you get past that, then uh, John begins to, to talk about revelation of things that will come. A lot of the scary apocalyptic things come later. But in chapters two and three, He's talking about real churches, and Jesus is actually critiquing them. And why does he have a right to critique them? Because he died for them. And so he's telling them some things about themselves. So let's look at verse 19, what he says. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Verse 20, but I have this against you. But let's look at this pattern. This is also important. So not only did God not want us to have hypocrisy, but when Jesus was talking about them and he died for them, he could say whatever he wants. The first thing he did is he talked about their good points first. Before he talked about, but I've got something, he talked about the good points first. So here's something that we need to know as we're trying to uh, not be the bad judgmental Christians, but righteous judge, judging people or helping people. Always start with the good first. Don't lead with the negative. If you have to deal with something about the, their negative or you have to help correct them or encourage them, don't always start with the negative. Start with the positive. If there's any positive. So let's go back to, to the example of the person who committed adultery. Let's say it, it was a male. He lost his marriage. It's like, now, look, most people will, will say you were stupid for blowing up your marriage in the 20th year and then cheating. But what I'm going to say is, hey, you did good for 19 years. Yes, you made a mistake in the 20th year, but once you get restored, when you do get married again or when you do find love again, you've got what it takes because you were good for 19 years. You accentuate the positive. You don't leave the negative alone, but you accentuate the positive. So let's, let's go back to that and see how Jesus did it. I know your works, your love, so he gave him works, love, faith, service, patient, endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So that was like five or six good things. But then he says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols. So he says, you're doing very well in all these areas, but you got one area. And the one area you have that's wrong is really not anything that you're doing, is that you're tolerating something that someone else is doing because that someone else is leading others. In other words, you're allowing someone to raise through the ranks 
that's going to destroy other people. And he used the word tolerate. So I, I wanted to look at that word uh, tolerate again, side by side. Tolerate, to allow the existence, occurrence, or practice of without interference. In other words, no one tried to say or do anything about it. To be capable of continued subjection to it without adverse reaction. And so we're going to go backwards again. So Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I don't want to spend too much time there, but I have to give us a little history to know what is going on. So when, when the Bible uses the word sexual immorality, normally what we think it means just the regular sex between male and female or male, male or female, female. And there's a lot talked about in churches about that. And I'm not saying that we should necessarily celebrate that. We still believe that the best, highest goal is um, a man and a woman in marriage. However, when the Bible talks about sexual immorality, it's not just talking about what we would call casual sex. In their time, especially in, in Corinth, with other pagan gods, there would be sex in the temple to please the god. There were what they'd be called male cult prostitutes and female cult prostitutes. And so in, in the other pagan religions, what they would do is, if I want God to bless me, I would go to the temple or to the church and I would have sexual relationship with the priest or the the male prostitute or the female prostitute as a gift to my God for God to bless me. Very twisted thinking, but that's how the religions of that day was. So when people were converted to Christianity, all Jesus asked for was worship. You mean I don't I don't have to have sexual relationships with people in the 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 Christian, not the Christian community, but in the church community to get God to bless me. He's like, no, actually, that is not the way we do things. We do things opposite. So when the Bible talks about sexual immorality, in many cases, it is talking about the crazy way the pagans worship their God. And and, and there's, there's a lot of things that you can kind of uh, study some of it out. So it's not just talking about what we call normal things. It is talking about some deep things. So what this lady Jezebel was doing, she was teaching people, hey, we need to bring some of the practices we did in our old gods and we're bringing it over into this new God and we need to be willy-nilly with our sex because it pleases God. And the scripture says she was actually seducing. So she was saying, hey, you can do it with me or you can do it with my prostitutes. In other words, so it was really wicked and twisted and what Jesus was saying, I don't like that you're tolerating this because I brought you guys out of that to be totally different, to show the world a different way. And you're allowing this lady to come in and do this. Now, look at what he says next in the next verse. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. I didn't I didn't even kick her out. I didn't even throw her away. I didn't even. Uh tell her that there's no hope for you. I said, hey, you need to change. Repent actually means make a turn. You really need to change your mind about this because I pulled you guys out of that into something brand new. And what was brand new about it is that it elevated uh, male-female relationships in a way that, that wasn't done before. It, it made people not objects. It made people people, humans. It, they, there was a relationship growing. And then here's this woman coming in, and she's about to turn things all back around to the old way. And another thing that most people don't understand about Corinth, the city, it was a coastal city. It was like an island city because it was right by the coast. So it would have been like a Miami, a South Beach. And for us, it would have been like a Vegas, uh, what they call Sin City. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So it was one of those type of wild cities. And in one of those wild cities, God grabs a people. He begins to restore them and pulls them away. And they begin to build churches opposite of the culture. They weren't wild like the culture. But then here comes this lady 
pulling things in. Well, in this case, this is talking about Sardis. It's not actually talking about Corinth. We're going to get to Corinth later. But it was the idea that God was rescuing these uh, people to be lights to these cities, to reverse what is going on in the cities. But then they started tolerating things. So after you get from that, let's look at this. Well, let's go back there and read that one more time. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. All right. So then here's the statement. Only God can judge me. So we found out that it doesn't say we can't judge. It's just the way that we judge is important. But then the idea that only God can judge me. The question is, is that true? So that's not something that God says. It's something that Tupac says. So should we take it as law for us? And then I made the statement that it is not correct totally, but it's not totally incorrect. So it makes it incomplete. So how can we make it incomplete is we've got to know uh, and study ourselves to figure out where it fits with us as Christians. We're not talking about other people. We're just talking about us. So in order to do that, we looked at 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 1 through 3, and then we get into 1 Corinthians 5. So let's look at 1 through 3. It says, when, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? So Paul specifically says, the saints will judge the world. The question is, is he talking about now or is he talking about a future event? But either way, he's saying that we have the capacity to actually judge. And so then he's taking them back to the context, which was they were fighting over tri trivial cases. And instead of coming to agreement over trivial cases, they were taking their uh, stuff over to real judges and real. They're taking each other to court. In other words, let's make it something small and trivial. I'm, uh, I'm in the church on Sunday morning, and John accidentally steps on my white shoes, and he leaves a black mark on my white shoes. Instead of me wiping them off and saying, oh, I know you didn't meet, do it on purpose, I'm taking you to court, John. I'm suing you because you stepped on my white shoes. And then they got to go before the court, and the court says, yeah, this is really a misdemeanor. It's not that big of a deal. And they, they, they make a judgment. And a lot of times what they're doing, they were throwing the cases out because they, they were things that didn't make any sense. And Paul was like, you guys are making us look bad. You're going to real courts and real judges over small things that you shouldn't be able to fix together. You're supposed to be loving each other. You're supposed to be a family. You, can't you get over the fact that somebody accidentally stepped on your shoes? So he, he was trying to show them how backwards they had got. But remember, they were in a crazy type of city and community. And so what God really wanted them to do, he wanted them to be a light in the dark land. So he was encouraging them. You guys got to do better, but don't you know, you're going to actually judge the world. In other words, you're going to be developed in such a way that the world is going to take its, instead of you taking um, your dictates from their culture, they're going to take their dictates from your culture, but you got, you guys got to grow up. So that's what he was trying to get them to understand. All right, let's, let's go further. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than the matters pertaining to this life? So that let, lets us know he's talking more than just about now. He's talking about the afterlife. What that means, I can't even explain all that means that we will judge angels. I don't know. But what, what it does prove to us that, that in no other part of God's creation is anybody else called sons and daughters of God. There are the angels, there are sinners, there are demons, devils, there's creatures, animals. We're the only people who are called his sons and daughters. So think about this. When you, when you think about Bill Gates and Melinda Gates, well, I, I should probably use uh, someone different because I, I don't know about their offspring. But let's look at, well, let, let's, let's look at Donald Trump. One of the issue people had with Donald Trump is how much power his children have. But because he was elevated to the role of a president, he, he gave all of his children power. So a lot of people were afraid of his children because they automatically got power when he got power. So Paul was making the point that 
Jesus, when he died for you, he converted you, not just servants. You are sons and daughters of God. And so since you're sons and daughters of God, you're to the apex of God's creation. That means angels, demons, everything else created. That means they come under your authority. So if in the ages to come, all these things are going to be under your authority, don't you think you can figure things out amongst yourself now? Because you're growing and developing into the people who are going to cross over into the afterlife. So what he's saying, guys, get it together. Get it together. You can do better than this. So it's not that you can't judge. It's just you need to know how to judge. And you also need to know God wants you to be in a position of authority. So you got to grow up and do the work that you need to do so that God could use you in the last and evil days. All right. So let's go even further. Here's point one. 1A and 1B, the major points we're, we're trying to make. So here answers the question. Christians are allowed to and are even expected to judge, but then it makes a statement, other Christians. We, we clear that up later on in, in our Sunday sermon. But when Paul is talking, he doesn't seem to be talking about people outside of your covenant-connected group of Christians. Now, in those day and days, they were in house churches. So really, it's talking about the people you do life with. The problem with a lot of Christians, they just will jump and start judging everybody. They, they, they'll, they'll judge uh, the, the rock star, and they judge the movie star, and then they'll even judge people from other churches. And, well, you didn't get baptized right, and, and, and you don't wear the right stuff uh, to your church. And so, that is not what God is asking for. What he really wants is us to do life with people, especially the people in our group. So, so let's talk about Deliverance Temple. Let's not focus on other churches. Let's not fo focus on people on TV. Let's focus on us who are part of Deliverance Temple. We are expected and allowed to judge each other because the whole goal is we're trying to get each other to grow. And, and God is not just talking about the pastor. He's actually talking about us who have relationship with each other that, hey, we can help each other grow to higher places. But we have to be willing not to just tolerate anything. And we have to be willing to be close enough with each other to show each other when when a person has gotten off, but doing it in love. So here's the next point, uh, uh, point B or the second part of the same point. However, there are guidelines, certain instances and certain expectations for Christian judgment. So you, it's not like a machine gun where you just, just shoot judgment. It has to be very strategic. There's guidelines. You just can't be doing it the way some people do it. And that's why they end up coming off as or becoming judgmental Christians because they're not doing it right. They're not doing it in the right and the proper guidelines. It's awesome to have a vehicle. It's awesome to be able to drive down the highway, but there are certain guidelines. If the speed limit is 70, you can't go 20. People think you only get in trouble for going too fast. No, you get in trouble for going too slow because you're going to mess up the flow of traffic. You also can't drive in reverse. Cars have reverse. They all have reverse, but you can't drive in reverse on the highway because you're going to mess a bunch of stuff up. You, there, there are certain things you can't do. You can't park in the highway. Because you're going to cause a lot of trouble. So, yes, you can drive on the highway, but you have to follow the proper guidelines or else you're going to mess up a bunch of stuff. The problem with is that when you have people who don't know what they're doing or who haven't followed the proper guidelines, they become judgmental Christians. They do judgmental things and they give all of us a bad name because they're doing what they're not supposed to do. They haven't handled it right. But it's not that you can't drive. You just got to do it right. Not that you can't go on the highway. You just got to do it right. You have to know what vehicle belongs on the highway. You, you're not supposed to be riding a bike down 69. Because, yes, you can ride a bike, but they got bike lanes. They got sidewalks. They got things for that. You can't do it wrong or you're going to mess up. Not just you. You're gonna, the problem is you're going to mess up other people. All right. So look at this. Guidelines for Christian judging. Christian judging. All right, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 3, and uh, remembering and being reminded that this is a, a city that God had 
developed some people in it, and it was like a Vegas, like a Sin City, a lot of crazy things going on. God grabs a few people, and his goal is to grow them up to be a light back to the dark world. God never snatches a person out just to take them away. He always wants to send them back to get more people. So Paul was trying to help them be the church that they needed to be. And he wasn't just talking about one particular house church. He meant all the house churches in Corinth. I, I, I want y'all to pass this letter. I'm writing to all of y'all because if all of y'all get together and do what's right, you're really going to be a benefit and a blessing to the entire uh, city. So for us, and even though we have people online in other cities, but let's just use, for example, for us, if we get our act together, we'll be a blessing to all of Muncie. We can help all of Muncie, but our goal is to communicate Christ's love compassionately. If we get out of here and we communicate hate, bitterness, we can communicate everybody's going to hell, all you gays, you guys are stupid, you're going to hell. If you ever had abortion, you're dumb, you're going to hell. If we communicate that, we're, we're like a guy on the highway messing everything up. And here's the problem. The, the Bible says God's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. So in order for things to get turned around, if there are churches who are producing judgmental Christians, God has to shut those churches down. And as the age grows on, you're going to see whole churches come to a close because they're doing it all the way wrong. And so it behooves us. We got to do it, but we have to do it right. All right. So let's go to the first verse. First Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5.1. So... Paul gets a report, says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, remember, the pagans, they had the cult prostitutes and all that in temple worship. And Paul said, y'all doing stuff that even they won't do. There's this man who has his father's wife. I, I briefly touched on it Sunday, but if you look at it the way it goes, it looks like what he did is he raped his stepmother. He took her, raped her, and we don't know if it was a continual thing, but he was coming back to church almost like, y'all better not say nothing to me about it. I do what I want to do, and I'm a part of Deliverance Temple, and that's it. And Paul was like, there's a report. In other words, the report is it's gotten out, and it's gotten out to the whole city of Corinth, like even the people who don't know God, the ones that they say are, are crazy and mixed up. You're supposed to be a light to them and you're doing stuff that they wouldn't even do. I use uh, the joke on Sunday that, that you're doing stuff that would get all of us on Jerry Springer. You're, you, you've got into some, some wild things. And, uh, the Paul, the, the issue that, that Paul had is you're bragging and you're boasting about it. Now, we do know the one man was boasting about it, but it seemed like other people in the congregation were boasting about it, too. It's like, yeah, man, uh, this guy, he did that, but but looks like God's blessing him and everything's okay. No, 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 everything's not okay. Something needs to be done. So let's go back to that word again. First Corinthians 5.1, look at that word that's right before the colon. It says, even pagans do not tolerate this. So let's look at that definition of tolerate again. Even the pagans don't allow the existence of this occurrence or practice this without interference or are capable of continuing subjecting to this without adverse reaction. Even the people that supposedly don't know God, they don't, they don't do stuff like this. They, something needs to be done. Here's something that this is way back then, but this is something that's happened in our day, real life. It's not just the Catholic church, but I'll use them as an example, but it's happening in, in other churches. There's been a lot of child molestation to happen within churches. And there's churches who have covered it up, hidden it, especially there was an expose done on the Catholic church where they were hiding these priests and they were moving them to other parishes. They were moving them to other churches so nobody would find out. They're, they're molesting several boys. And so, okay, we're, we're going to take you from the Muncie church and put you over in the church of Colorado. That way nobody can trace it and find it out. And when the larger world found out, and I believe it was the Boston Globe who, who put out the expose on it. Guess what it did? It made all Catholics look bad. It made all priests look bad because they were doing stuff that even the pagans don't, don't do. Now, of course, some sinners molest 
But when a lot of people find out about it, they're mad and they're like, man, throw them in jail. Even prisoners, they say the worst people when they come in are the molesters. When they come, even the prisoners say, we don't tolerate that. But the Catholic Church was tolerating it and hiding it. Not just the Catholic Church, but the Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals. You see a bunch of junk that's happened all throughout what is supposed to be Christians. And what it does, it makes all of us look bad. So when we know that there's things that are just crazy. Now, like I said, we believe sex should be from a man and a woman in a covenant marital relationship. But when we're talking about crazy stuff, we're not talking about that. So what I'm saying is you slept with someone, you got weak and slept with someone and you're single. It's not the best thing, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the wild, crazy things that people are bringing into the church and acting like it's okay. I'm not saying that you shouldn't grow from some of the struggles you have, but what Paul was dealing about, about we have to keep it in context. We're, he's talking about dealing with stuff that was over the top sexually, not just the normal. Now, we still should grow from the normal, but we're talking about the over the top that is being tolerated. And there are a lot of churches that are allowing the over the top. There are pastors who are sleeping with all the women in the church and everybody knows about it. And they're still talking about, hey, no, no, we got to do something about that. And I always say, if I ever get to the place where I'm doing things like that, I give you permission to leave my church. You need to leave. You don't need to stay or you need to kick me out and, and bring a new pastor in because there's certain things you can't tolerate. Now, maybe if I make a mistake here and there, you can embrace me and love me. But I'm talking about when I'm doing blatant, blatant wrong and acting like it's right. All right. Let's let's go further and see how Paul handled it. And here's the here's problem. And you are inflated with pride instead of filled with grief so that he who has committed this act might be removed from your congregation. So it wasn't just what he had done, raping his stepmother and bragging about it. He said all of you are inflated with pride. And one of the reasons why they were inflated with pride is because that was the church that had the spiritual gifts. They had the prophecy, they had the speaking in tongues, they had uh, healing, miracles, because Paul wrote to them about that. So they had power. So they thought because they had this power that, oh, don't worry about any of this other stuff that's going on. And they were actually proud about it. And he said, you should be filled with grief. You, you, you mean this? Look at two people that are hurt. The, this guy's dad is hurt because he's done, he's stolen his wife and taken him for himself. Now this woman is hurt too, and y'all are happy about it. Y'all are celebrating it and acting like this didn't happen. And there are a lot of people who leave churches because of church hurt, because they got hurt in the church. And instead of people helping them and grieving with them over it, they celebrate. Unfortunately, I know someone who, whose daughter was being molested in a church, and the perpetrator was found out. But the perpetrator gave a lot of money, money to the church. So they tried to keep it hush. But guess what it did to the mother whose child was being molested? It crushed her because I thought this church loved me, but you sided with the other person because he gives more money. A lot of people have been hurt in churches because instead of grieving and fixing They've tolerated stuff and broken people apart. And listen, it happened way back then. Because guess what? Where, where, where do you think Satan's going to show up at? He's going to show up at a church because he's trying to mess up churches. But it's up to us not to tolerate. So let's, let's go even further. He says what should have been happened is the guy who committed this act should have been removed from the congregation. Verse 3, for though I am absent in body but present in spirit, I have already decided about the one who has done this thing as though I were present. Paul set up churches. He put leadership in place and he would go on to other places. He was an apostle. So he had churches in several different cities that he had visited. So he wasn't even there, but he heard the report. But see, he knew the people there and he knew this is not a rumor. This is real. And I've already passed judgment. In other words, Paul actually judged and he was like, 
there's something needs to be done about this because he knew the type of people he was dealing with. And he was saying, if you let one person get away with this, it's going to mess up a whole bunch of other things. So Paul actually passed judgment. But here's the thing that's very important for us to know. Here's one of the guidelines. Look at guideline A. Christian judging should be based in relationship. Paul didn't make any statements about churches he was not in connection with. There was a church in Jerusalem, but Paul didn't do any work in the church of Jerusalem. He just helped. He brought money there, but he never made any statement about them because he wasn't in relationship with them. So God is not saying you go jump and you start judging people. In other words, I go up into another church down the street, open the door and say, hey, y'all better get right. All y'all that's acting up, y'all better get right. Y'all better be like Deliverance Temple. All y'all be, that's not what God's calling me to do. I'm only supposed to be judging people who I'm in relationship with. And I'm supposed to judge them considering the log in my own eye. I'm supposed to handle them in a correct manner. So let's look at it again. We should only be judging those who we are in relationship with. So that narrows it down. Here, look, look, look at verse four. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus. Here's another thing. We are assembled, but we are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. So everything we do in the church is in his name. So if we are allowing people to be molested in Jesus name, guess who's going to be in trouble by Jesus? Us. All right. So let's let's go even further. Turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I wish I left more, more room to really study this out, because to me, this is so powerful. I'll put it side by side. We know this guy has done something crazy, and he's not sorry about it. He's actually prideful about it. And Paul doesn't say this guy needs to go to hell. He says he does need to be put out of the church, but we, we're putting him out only in this hope that he's turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So Paul says, we still want this guy to be saved. We know he's done something wrong. He, he, he doesn't care to repent. He's acting real brash about it, but we want to put him out of the church. But the only reason why we're putting him out of the church is so that Satan will get on his uh, trail. And when Satan gets on his trail and starts causing his life to spiral out of control, he'll wake up and hopefully his spirit will be able to save. In other words, hopefully he'll be able to be restored. So we're putting Adam to the church, not just to preserve the church, but also to preserve him because what Paul knows, Satan is so devious. He'll make you do something, make you proud about what you did. And once you get in the middle of it, Satan will beat you up and wear you out. And, and, and Paul said, maybe this is what this guy needs. And a lot of us, the reason why we are with God is because our life started spiraling out of control. Satan messed up our lives and we realized, oh my goodness, I need to do something different. And so Paul was saying, we hope this will happen. And Paul even said, even if it, if it happens all the way at the end of the day of the Lord, we still want this guy to be saved. So that brings us up to the next point in the guideline. Christian judging should always have the goal of restoration. Look at what I capitalize always. So if we are forced to ever put something, somebody out of the church in our heart of hearts, we should always want restoration. We should always want what is best. I don't know why I keep using this idea, but I'll use it again. The idea of molestation. Me as a pastor, if I find out about it by law, I'm supposed to tell the authorities, and if it's proven out, investigate has happened, the person is going to be locked up. But we have a prison ministry. It doesn't mean that I won't still visit that person in prison. Yeah, I know they did, did wrong, and I know they're supposed to be locked up, but that doesn't mean I still don't want their soul restored. Because if they don't be restored, they end up in hell. So that's not what we want. We want them to be restored, but we still got to do what is right to protect everybody else. And that gets us to the next few verses. All right, let's go to the next verse. Your boasting is not good. Doesn't say his boasting. He's talking about everybody else. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast permeates the whole batch of dough? 
And so uh, uh, the next point is this, C. Christian judging should have the goal of protecting the whole. Why would you ever put somebody out of the church only if them staying is going to infect the whole? And what had happened is the whole had been infected because everybody's boasting. Not only is he boasting about what he did, everybody's boasting about what he did. It's like, ha, 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 look how good God is us. We can do what we want, when we want, how we want. We can take who we want uh, and sexually do whatever we want to do, and it's okay. And, and Paul said, your boasting is not good. You guys are way, way in left field. So what you need to do, you need to get rid of the offender so that the rest of y'all can get y'all act together. And that brings us to, to, to this uh, last one. D, Christian judgment was designed to be mainly internal, not external. So after going through this whole expose, the major people we should really be judging is us in Deliverance Temple. It's made to be internal. Now, yes, there are other churches that are other things going on, but we are only really supposed to be going with what's happening with us. Now, God does give us the right to talk to other Christians, but our focus starts internal first. So we we, we got to make sure we are going in the best way. We got to make sure we're doing what's right. And from my vantage point as a leader, it looks like we are. It looks like we're doing what's right. But hey, I don't know what's coming. I don't know who else is going to join. I don't know what we're going to be faced with. So we need to know that we, we got to make sure we are together. And so then Paul takes it further to help us understand. Let's look at the last few verses. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, in that case, you would have to leave this world. So what most Christians mess up, they go and jump on all the people in the world doing things. He said, that's not what I'm asking you to do because you would have to leave the whole world. You couldn't go to the grocery store. You couldn't go to your job you, because that spirit is out there in, 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 in the world. But we're talking about what's going on with us. Let's look at the the uh, next verse, verse 11. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy and a dialer or a slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. He's not saying you can't fellowship with someone who has fallen in that and wants to come out. You're talking about people who are in stuff and they don't care. He's like, you got to be careful doing those things because more than likely they will bring you down more than you will bring them up. And so then he uses this last thing. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? So that explains what he's talking about. And I know I'm going a little, little longer, but there's a story about a guy who was on his job and he was a Christian. And there were people in the break room playing cards and they may have been gambling or something. And he goes in, and he knocks all the cards off the table, all the chips and tells them, y'all don't need to be gambling. It's wrong, blah, blah, blah. But it's not wrong for them. They're not Christians. They're not trying to be Christians. You are. It may be wrong for you. Leave them alone. So Paul said, says, what, what is my business judging them people? So you go to the bar, y'all need to put these drinks up. Or you go to the park, y'all need to stop smoking weed. That ain't none of your business. That ain't for you to say. They are outside. Let God deal with them. You deal with the people you have relationship with. So it's different if somebody is in here smoking weed while I'm preaching. That's a different story. We got a right to say something about that. Or in the middle of praise is a whole pocket of people over there gambling. Eh, we, we got a right to say something about that. So Paul is saying, yes, we can say something, but let's know who we're supposed to talk to. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And then here he leaves us with this final thing that makes the most sense. God will judge those outside. So what are we supposed to do? Expel the wicked person from among you. 
Now, as I close, does that mean you're going to start kicking people out of your church, Pastor Andre? No. We're Deliverance Temple. We come here because we want to be delivered. See, the people here want to be delivered. We only have problems when people come here and they don't want to be delivered. They don't want to grow. They don't want to change. I'm coming here, Pastor Andre, and I'm coming because I want to sleep with your wife. No, no, you, you can't stay here. Not, not, not my wife. You can't, you, you can't stay here. So, no, you, you got to get, get, get out of my church. Not just my wife, but your, your wife or John's wife. Well, I'm coming here because I, I want to sleep with John's wife. No, you're at the wrong church. No, no, you, you, why? Because that's wicked. It's twisted. It's different than a person saying, you know what? Some of the women in the church are attractive to me. And wow, they're so beautiful. But I keep coming because my focus is on God. And I don't want to be distracted by their beauty. And I know I'm human, but I keep coming because I want to be focused on God. Oh, shoot, shoot. You can stay with us because we, 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 we all go through that. So anybody who's going through normal human things, hey, Deliverance Temple is the place for you. But if you want to be wicked and boast about it and just be like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and whatnot, that's, that's the wrong place. So we got to do right. Let, let, let's, let's close with this. I, I've gone about five minutes over. Let's close with this. Something really weird happened several years ago and changed a lot the way churches have been thinking about things. Mother Emanuel Church, they were sitting there getting ready to have a Bible study. They were showing love to this young man, invited him into the Bible study. Then he decides to get up and kill everybody in the Bible study. And then people were saying all the church was doing was showing love. But then other churches are thinking, maybe we need to start having people in the church who do carry guns, who are there to protect. And people are like, well, why would a church do that? Because there's still wicked people out there. And look, we want to protect what we have. But if there's wicked people, I'm okay with having some security who's willing to do whatever is necessary to be done to keep a wicked person from messing up the rest of the church. That's called good leadership. And of course, that's an extreme example. But we're saying the same thing when it comes to allowing wickedness to just run rampant. No, we judge that. We stand against it. But we focus on us and then we all grow together. I think that should clear up any confusion about anything. And then on Sunday, we end up doing communion, which we won't do here. So let's let's bow our heads and let's uh, close our eyes and let's see what the Lord has for us as we uh, move out. Uh, dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, God. This is such an uh, interesting topic, a tough topic. And as uh, Deliverance Temple... We are people who are supposed to be loving and growing and helping others, supposed to help everybody. But God, don't ever let us tolerate that which is wicked. Number one, tolerate it in ourselves because we need to grow, but tolerate it in people who will hurt and harm the congregation. Help us to be a congregation that loves everybody, but also understands how to protect each other so we grow to where we need to be. And so that you can say to us, you know our works, our faith, but we don't tolerate that which is evil. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So God bless you. We thank you. Uh, we love you so much. Thanks for watching and tune in again and we'll see you next week.